Welcome, everyone, to the new 1001 Sherlock Holmes Stories podcast. Here you'll find a collection of Sherlock Holmes adventures, as well as the best of Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's stories. Some from our archives at 1001 Classic Short Stories and 1001 Stories for the Road, and some newly produced, all here for your entertainment. Sir Arthur Conan Doyle claimed he based the character of Sherlock Holmes on a teacher of his, Dr. Joseph Bell, whose real powers of deductive logic awed all who knew him. Yet Dr. Bell, in a letter to Conan Doyle, stated quite bluntly, You are yourself, Sherlock Holmes, and well you know it. Conan Doyle did not dispute this statement, for in fact Sherlock Holmes had the best characteristics of his creator. So did Dr. Watson. Highly educated, honest to the core, and one of the best writers of the Victorian age— The British public and then the world took him to their hearts. It was not long before the doctor-turned-writer found himself a well-established man of letters and friend to such countrymen as Oscar Wilde, Rudyard Kipling, and H.G. Wells. Not bad company to be with. In real life, Conan Doyle solved more than two actual murder mysteries, saving the lives of innocent men by his careful research, gathering of facts, and deductive reasoning. Few men in history can claim such feats. When he died in 1930, a time not so long ago, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle had this epitaph engraved on his tombstone. Steel true, blade straight, Arthur Conan Doyle, knight, patriot, physician, and man of letters. Fitting words for such a giant of a man. And now, Basil Rathbun and Nigel Bruce in the adventure of the double zero. This episode from the life of Sherlock Holmes will be transmitted to our men and women overseas by shortwave and through the worldwide facilities of the Armed Forces Radio Service. Petri Wine brings you... Basil Rathbone and Nigel Bruce in the new adventures of Sherlock Holmes. The Petri family, the family that took time to bring you good wine, invites you to spend the next half hour listening to Dr. Watson tell us another exciting adventure he shared with his old friend, that master detective, Sherlock Holmes. And say, let me tell you something I found out just the other day. Steaks are really back again. Good, thick, juicy porterhouse steaks. Mm, That's for me. A thick, tender steak on the rare side, together with a glass of Petri California Burgundy. You know, Petri Burgundy is a perfect mealtime wine. And with meat or any meat dish, it's the very last word in good eating. Honestly, when you taste the wonderful flavor of that rich red Petri Burgundy, you're tasting one swell example of the art of winemaking. It's full-flavored and just about the most delicious wine that ever poured from a bottle. Try it the next time you have steak or chops, or the next time you have hamburger or pot roast. Believe me, Petri Burgundy is the best friend a good meal ever had. And now let's look in on our good friend and host, Dr. Watson. Come in, come in, come in. Ah, there you are, Mr. Bartell. Evening, Doctor. Just in time to join me in a cup of coffee. Draw up your chair, young fellow, my lad. Thank you. Ah, that's it. Well, Doctor, you told us last week that tonight's new Sherlock Holmes adventure takes us to the south of France. That's right, Mr. Bartell. The south of France in the year 1900. 
a beautiful playground bordered by the bluest of blue seas and populated with an extraordinary cross-section of cosmopolitan Europe. Rich man, poor man, beggar man, thief. All of them attracted by that Riviera paradise. All of them drawn by the magical spell of a small white ball spinning round the rim of a roulette wheel. Now, don't tell me that you and the great Sherlock Holmes were there on a gambling spree. We were not, Mr. Bartell. <laughs> At the time my story begins, we just concluded an extremely delicate mission. A mission, I may say, that uh, concerned the safety and good name of uh, a very prominent member of the royal family. Say, Doctor, you don't mean... Uh, one story at a time, Mr. Bartell. In any event, my boy, I'm afraid that's a case about which my lips are sealed for all time. But to return to tonight's adventure, one June evening, I persuaded Holmes to accompany me to the gambling casino at Fregius, not far from Cannes, where we were staying. It wasn't quite as fashionable as a casino at Monte Carlo, but as I intended to do a little modest gambling myself, it seemed an establishment more suited to my means. As we stood there at the green baize-covered tables, the chatter of voices and the melodic chanting of the croupiers, as they called the results of each spin of the wheel, formed a background to a quiet conversation that Holmes and I were having. Lost again, Watson. Confounded, that number 10 must come up soon. Why not cut your losses, old fellow, and come for a stroll with me on the water? Well, just a big wig, a couple more bets, Holmes. I have a feeling that 10 is bound to come up in a minute. Watson, I believe the blood of a gambler courses through your veins. Oh, there's no harm in taking a little flutter once in a while. Why don't you risk a few francs, Holmes? Oh, thanks, you, my dear chap. The law of averages convinces me that my money is safer in my pocket. In any case, I'm a little dubious as to the integrity of this particular casino. Well, what makes you say that? Well, you will observe that this roulette wheel has a double zero. Most continental wheels have only a single one. It would indicate that this house is extremely concerned with its percentage. Mesdames et messieurs, faites vos yeux. Oh, just two more turns of the wheel, Holmes, and I'll take that walk with you. Oh, Mrs. Gerspielen, why do you not play from the other side of the table? Why must you always stand next to me? Hello. The trouble up there. I've placed my bet, so, so let's go and see. I ask you, so why do you play here beside me? I'm afraid I don't see any reason why I can't play wherever I swish. You are, you've broken my luck. Ever since you come to the table, I've done nothing but lose. Please, to move away. Well, move away yourself if you don't like my company. Heinrich, why do you not stop now? You've already lost more than we can afford. One more toil, sir. I can win it all back if only this young man will move away. Why should my husband move? He's had a bad run of luck, too. Rien ne va plus. Ah, you've lost again, Watson. Heinrich, you must stop now. I must stop him, sir, because I've lost everything. I hope you're satisfied, Mr. American. You've broken my luck and ruined me. I hope that you and your turn will be ruined, too. Heinrich! Heinrich, wait for me! I never heard such rubbish in my life. Were you listening to him, sir? I heard his last few remarks, Mr... Uh, Gilbert. Roger Gilbert. And this is my wife, Helen. How do you do? My name is Holmes, and this is my friend, Dr. Watson. How do you do? How do you do? How do, you do? Didn't you think his remarks were a little out of place, Doctor? <laughs> I certainly did, Mrs. Gilbert. I don't see how he can possibly blame your husband for his run of bad luck. I didn't like the look on his face as he left the table, though. Have you any idea who he is? His name is Schneeman. He's staying at the same hotel as we are. I've never spoken to him, but I've heard him being page there. Well, he shouldn't gamble unless he can afford to lose. Well, I'm losing, darling, and I can't afford it. Oh, but I can let you have more money. You know that. Oh, no, Helen, I... I may have married an heiress, but I'm not going to use her fortune to gamble with. Oh. <laughs> I'll lose my own money, and then I'll quit. 
Mesdames et messieurs, take position. Your last bit, Watson? Yes, Holmes. This time I know that number 10 is going to come up. It's got to. Numéro 10. I've lost again, darn it. Helen, this is my bad night. Why don't you stop now, dear? Holmes, I've made 350 francs. On this throw of the wheel, old fellow, but as you've lost some 500 francs doing it, I can't say that your profits stagger me. Oh, Mr. Holmes, <laughs> I can see that you're no gambler. I'm afraid not, Mrs. Gilbert. I wouldn't say that, Holmes. Uh, you may not like roulette. You've taken a good many chances in your life with long odds against you, too. Well, nevertheless, old chap, in the sense Mrs. Gilbert means it, I'm not a gambler. Oh, that's a good idea. Say, what's the commotion over there? That German woman with a crowd forming around him. Yes, yes, the wife of that man that said I ruined him. Attention! Attention! Est-ce qu'il y a un docteur dans la salle? There must be trouble. He's asking for a doctor. A doctor? Come along, then. Will you excuse me, please? Thank you. Excuse me, madame. Mon ami, il y a doctor. Monsieur! What happened, madam? It is my husband. Is he ill? I just found him lying out in the garden. Please come with me at once, gentlemen. Uh, of course we will, madam. What seems to be the matter with him? Here, doctor. I think he is dead. He's lying by that tree, doctor. Please see if you can help him. Somebody else seems to be on the scene before us. Who are you, sir? I am Monsieur Chevray, director of the casino. Do any of you know this poor man? I am his wife. Is he... is he dead? I... I am afraid so, madame. Let me look at him. I'm a doctor. Was your husband gambling in the casino tonight, madame? Yeah, he was. Poor Heinrich. He lost everything that we have. I'm afraid he's dead, madame. Shot through the heart. Oh, do leap a God. Suicide, Watson? Yeah, looks like it. Mm. Yes. Powder burns on the shirt front, revolver clutched in the right hand, fingers in a natural position. The angle of the wound settles it. Obviously self-inflicted. I missed you as you slipped out of the casino. What's wrong with him? I'm afraid he's dead, Mr. Gilbert. Yes, he committed suicide. I hope, young man, that you are satisfied. All night you brought him bad luck. He asked you to move away from him to change his luck, but no, you could not do it. Oh, Frau Schneemann, I'm terribly sorry, but I really don't see how you can blame me. I do blame you, and I also blame you, Monsieur Chevry. Me? But what have I done, madame? Why do you let a man lose all his money at your tables? Is life so cheap to you, or money so important that you cannot close the tables to someone before he's ruined? Madame, I am all sympathy for you in your tragic loss. But the casino cannot be held responsible. If your husband could not afford to gamble, then he should not come here. How are we to know the financial limitations of, uh, of our customers? You say that your husband lost everything you had tonight, madam. Yeah, everything. Then how do you account for this sheaf of banknotes in his breast pocket? Good Lord, it must be several thousand francs, sir. Then he wasn't ruined. And his suicide, therefore, cannot be blamed on his losses at my casino, madam. How do you account for this money, Frau Schneemann? Well... I do not understand. Heinrich kept nothing from me. I know that he had not so much money on him when he started tonight. Uh, well, why do you all look at me like that? Is it that you think? You think... Quick, why uh, she's fainted? I've got her. Let's get her to her room. You can take her to my suite in the casino. No, let's take her to the hotel. My wife will look after her. Poor woman, she's had a dreadful shock. 
She can probably do with another woman's company. That's very considerate of you, Mr. Gilbert. Where are you staying? At the Hotel Creon. It's quite near here. I'll get a cabin while I'm doing that. Watson, see if you can revive her, will you? Jesus then we'll God. take her to the Hotel Creon. Kind of you, Mrs. Gilbert, to let us bring the poor lady into your suite. Well, it's the least I can do, in spite of what she said about Roger bringing her husband bad luck. I'm sure she'll need your help when she wakes up, Helen. Yes, I think you'll find that she'll sleep for some hours. I give her a strong sedative. Well, we were just about to have a drink, gentlemen. Do you care to join us? Oh, thank you, sir. Well, that'd be very nice, Mr. Gilbert. Roger was just telling me that quite a large sum of money was found on Herr Shaman's body, Mr. Holmes. Uh, yes, Mrs. Gilbert. Several thousand francs. It's very puzzling, Holmes. Why should a man commit suicide with so much money on him? I think the answer is obvious. He didn't. What on earth do you mean? Well, the money was placed there after he had shot himself. The banknotes were in his breast pocket, if you remember. Hardly the usual place to carry money. Though it is the easiest pocket for someone to insert it without disturbing the body. But why on earth should someone place money on him after his suicide? Prevent the casino from getting a bad name. I've heard of it being done on several similar occasions. Gives the impression that the unfortunate victim had other motives than gambling losses to account for his suicide. Wait, Scott, you mean that one of the casino employees found the body lying there and slipped the money in his breast pocket before we arrived on the scene? As you know, my dear Watson, I'm not a gambling man, but I'll lay you a hundred to one. That is what happened. Well, that's a new one. Well, here are your drinks, gentlemen. Oh, thank you. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Say, Helen, Mr. Holmes has given me a brainwave. Another one? What is it this time, Roger? Now, I've been losing very heavily tonight. Roger, I've told you. If you need money, I'll be only... But I don't. I've got a scheme for making some. Oh. I'm going to gamble again tonight after dinner. If I lose, here's what I'll do. I'll stain my shirt front with red ink, walk out in the grounds, fire a shot, and lie down as though I'm dead. I'll wait for someone to come along and stuff my pockets full of banknotes. <laughs> not, not a bad idea, Mr. Gilbert. <laughs> I think it's a darn good one. What do you say, Mr. Holmes? Well, it's a whimsical one at any rate. Who knows? You might even be successful. Roger, you're not really going to do it, are you? Sure. Perhaps I'll get some of my losses back that way. <laughs> well, let's drink to it, gentlemen. At least I may have hit upon an idea of making money. <laughs> Watson, you'll have to work hard at your practice when you get back to England. Your infallible system appears to be extremely fallible. And yet the fellow who told me about it said it couldn't miss. It's just a matter of doubling the stakes each time you lose, oh, and then... Oh, my dear fellow, I've been studying your system, but I can tell you a really infallible way of making money at roulette. You can? What is it? Well, own the gambling house and operate the tables yourself. The odds would be all in your favor. Oh, what a brilliant suggestion. Own the gambling house and operate the tables. Enough gambling for tonight, Watson? Nearly 11 o'clock. Yeah, I think so. Let's take a stroll round the other table, shall we? By the way, old fellow, the young American, Mr. Gilbert, was losing heavily again tonight. He was? I wonder if he'll try that trick that he threatened, the one with the red ink and the shot in the night. I shouldn't be at all surprised. As a matter of uh, interest, I saw him leave the tables about half an hour ago. <laughs> Here comes his wife on the arm of Mr. Chevrolet, the director of the casino. Good evening, Mrs. Gilbert. Monsieur? Bonsoir, monsieur. Hello, Mr. Holmes, Dr. Watson. Monsieur Chevrolet is giving me a personally conducted tour of the casino. It's quite fascinating. And uh, it is quite fascinating for me 
to have so beautiful a woman on my arm, mademoiselle. <laughs> I know that I am the envy of all the men in the room. Oh, stop <laughs> flattering me so much. I'm not used to it. Mrs. Gilbert, how is um, Frau Schneemann? She seems much better. She wakened an hour ago and insisted on going back to her own room. I wanted her to spend the night with us in our suite, but she wouldn't hear yeah, of it. I think I should drop in and see her before I go to bed. Oh, you have finished the gambling for tonight, perhaps, Doctor? Uh, no, perhaps about it, Monsieur Chevry. I've had a bad run at the tables. Oh, I am so sorry. Has anyone seen Roger? He left the tables about half an hour ago, Mrs. Gilbert. After doing as I did and losing quite heavily. So he lost again, did he? I wonder if he'll try that uh, new system he was talking about. <laughs> we were just discussing that possibility ourselves, Mrs. Gilbert. Mrs. Gilbert! Mrs. Gilbert! Frau you shouldn't have left your hotel, you know. It is too late to worry for me, Herr Doctor. It is for Mrs. Gilbert now that you should worry. What do you mean, madame? Well, I went back just now to where poor Heinrich died. And there, lying in the grass, I saw another body. I was too shocked to go too close. But I am quite sure that I recognize your husband, Mrs. Gilbert. Oh, Dr. Watson, she's ruined Roger's trick. And he'll have taken fright and bolted by the time we get there. Watson, baby, let's go at once and find out, shall we? He, he hasn't gone. He's, he's still lying there. It's a most convincing spectacle. That red ink really does look like blood. Yes. And blood sometimes looks like red ink. Mr. Gilbert. Roger, get up. The joke's spoiled. Roger, get up. I'm afraid that's impossible, Mrs. Gilbert. He's dead. Dr. Watson's story will be continued in just a second, which is all the time I need to tell you that the easiest way I know to transform a simple meal into a feast is to serve that meal together with Petri California Sauterne. Petri Sauterne is a delicate white wine that's the perfect companion for chicken or turkey. Turkey, ah, yes. Turkey and Petri Sauterne. That's the heart of any Thanksgiving dinner. Look, why not make this Thanksgiving dinner the best one you ever had? Give it the air of a banquet. Serve it with Petri Sauterne. And when you buy that Sauterne or any wine for your Thanksgiving dinner, Whatever you do, look for the letters P-E-T-R-I, because a Petri wine is always a good wine. Well, Doctor, so the young American's joke turned out to be another tragedy. Yes, Mr. Bartell, the poor fellow was lying there dead with a bullet wound in the heart and a great splash of blood staining the whiteness of his shirt front. What happened next? Monsieur Chevry, director of the casino, took the distraught widow away from the scene while Holmes and I examined the body closely. Within a few minutes, we were joined by Inspector uh, Ganivet of the French police. As we stood there in the moonlight, the sounds of music could be heard from the casino. It was hard to believe that two men had died in that lovely garden since the moon had risen. Monsieur Holmes, you and Dr. Watson have concluded your examination. Yes, Inspector Ganivet. Will you favor me with your observations? You say that you are certain that this is not another suicide? I'm sure of it, Inspector. Look at the wound. The bullet entered the body at a direct right angle, whereas a self-inflicted shot is always fired obliquely. Yes, that is so. Then uh, you suggest that this man was shot from above as he lay on the ground pretending to be dead. I'm convinced of it. Why, Monsieur? Well, for two reasons. 
Though it's impossible to be sure without a laboratory test, I'm certain that beneath those blood stains are stains of red ink. Look for yourself, Inspector. Mm-hmm. Yes, indeed it does look like it. What is your other reason for being certain that this man was shot as he lay here pretending death? Uh, show him the banknotes, Watson. Uh, here you are, Inspector. We found them stuffed in his breast pocket. So, banknotes with a bullet hole through the middle of them. Very illuminating. Uh, tell me, gentlemen, how many people knew of this, uh, this little plot you have told me about, this plan of the dead man's to pretend to be shot? Just three people, Inspector, Dr. Watson, myself, and Mrs. Gilbert. Hello, then the answer is obvious. You and your friend are innocent. It must be the wife who killed him. No one else knew of the plot. No, I'm not so sure of that. Frau Schneemann, the dead German's widow, was in the next room when Gilbert told us about his plan. She might have heard, though I could swear that she was asleep. I gave her a very strong sleeping draught. From what you have told me of her husband's suicide, she might easily have had a motive for murdering this oh, man. Oh, come, 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 gentlemen. Surely it's obvious who murdered Mr. Gilbert? Who, Monsieur Holmes? Well, it's certainly one of the two widows. Since there seems to be some doubt in your minds, I suggest we return to the casino. I can promise you the answer to your question within a very few minutes. <laughs> Monsieur Chevrolet, now that we're all assembled in your office, I shall sit down quietly and let Inspector Ganivet conduct his examination. No, 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 Monsieur Holmes. No, you have handled the case so far. Please to cons continue it to the end. Yes, Monsieur Holmes. I should appreciate it. We have it at casino. Very well, gentlemen. It won't take me long. Frau Schneemann. Yeah, Herr Holmes. At uh, what time did you leave your hotel tonight? Well, I do not know what time it was. Well, what made you leave it? Well, I could not sleep. I knew that they had taken poor Heinrich's body away, but I felt that I must walk back there. It was the last place I saw him alive. How close did you come to Mr. Gilbert's body when you saw it lying there? Oh, close enough to see who it was. Then I ran into the casino to tell his wife I knew what had happened. How did you know? You say you uh, didn't come close to the body. I could tell by every line of the body as it lay there. I could tell because I knew that poor Heinrich's death would not be avenged. Thank you, Frau Schneemann. That will be all. You may go. Monsieur Holmes, she has no alibi. Surely you Inspector should stop Ganibay, her. if I'm to conduct this investigation, I must do it my own way. Pardon, Monsieur Holmes. Please continue. Right. Uh, you may go, Frau Schneemann. Mrs. Gilbert? Yes, Mr. Holmes. Where were you prior to our meeting in the casino tonight, just before we discovered your husband's body? After I left the hotel, I walked over here along the seafront. Can anyone verify that statement? I suppose not. I didn't meet anyone that I knew. And what did you do when you arrived at the casino? I played a little chemin de fer. A few moments later, Monsieur Chevrolet came over to the table and asked if he might escort me over the club. Ten minutes after that, we walked into you and Dr. Watson. That is quite true, Monsieur Holmes. I can swear to it. Thank you, Mrs. Gilbert. I'm sorry to distress you with these questions. You may go. I'll wait outside, Mr. Holmes. I must know what happened. Wait for me there, madame. I shall join you in a few minutes and escort you home. Ah, oh, well, another suspect with a poor alibi, alibi eh, Gallivet? I must say, Monsieur Holmes, your methods puzzle me. It seems to me that both those women should be watched. Yes, I agree with the inspector, Holmes. Please don't worry, inspector. I've asked two of your plainclothes men to keep an eye on the ladies. And now, Monsieur Chevray, I'd like to ask you a few questions. Ask me any questions you wish, Monsieur Holmes. Thank you. You will agree that it is the custom of the casino to put money on the bodies of suicides after their death. 
to get the impression that gambling uh, gambling losses were not responsible for the tragedy. Well, I, I do not think... Oh, come now, Chevre. I know that is a fact as well as you do. Exactly. Now, on those rather gruesome occasions, whose responsibility is it to secrete the money? Yours? Or do you entrust the matter to an underling? I do it myself. I see. Did you place the money on Herr Schneemann tonight? Yes, monsieur, I did. And did you also perform the same service on the body of Mr. Gilbert? No. I knew nothing of that death until a German lady, Frau Schneemann, come running into the casino. Excuse me, interrupting, monsieur. Uh, of course, Inspector. What is it? I think that you are wasting time. It is obvious that Madame Gilbert committed the crime. She knew of her husband's plot, she had no alibi, and she had the motive. For is not... Uh, Marriage itself, the greatest of all motives for murder. Oh, my dear inspector, how very cynical. Madame Dupert did not kill her husband. I know it. And what is your opinion, Watson? Well, it's a German woman. She had no alibi either. And remember, she was half mad with, with grief. Monsieur Chevrolet, you say that you know Mrs. Gilbert is not guilty. How do you know? I was with her myself at the time the murder was committed. Oh, indeed. How very interesting. And what time was the murder committed? Well, it, it was... It, it was... Our investigations have never established what time the murder was committed, Monsieur Chevrolet. I'm afraid you've walked into my trap. You've given yourself away. Great Scott Chevrolet, it was you. Chevrolet, I've known you a good many years, and this is going to be a hard thing to do. I am going to arrest you. Oh, no, you're not, Delivery. Put down that revolver, sir. Do not be frightened, Doctor. I am not going to shoot you. Chevrolet, why did you murder Roger Gilbert tonight? Surely you know that too, Monsieur Holmes. Because I am in love with his wife. She's young, beautiful, and rich. It did not occur to me until I saw the young fool lying there tonight pretending to be dead. In my profession, it is natural that I should carry a revolver. What was simpler? Mr. Dilbert gave me the perfect opportunity. I, I could not resist it. Put down that revolver, Chevrolet. Why are you all so frightened? Surely you know how I am going to use it this time. I think so, monsieur. But it's a coward's way out. What an unperceptive remark for such a perceptive man. No. No, all my life I have been a gambler. I gambled tonight for the highest states of all, and... and I lost. No. No, I am not afraid to pay for my losses. Au revoir, monsieur! <laughs> case, Holmes. I never suspected Chevrolet. And I, old chap, suspected him from the beginning. Well, I wasn't the only one who was stupid anyway. Inspector Ganivet thought it was the wife. True. Very puzzling conclusion for a detective inspector to arrive at. Oh, it seemed logical enough to me at no, the time. No, 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 my dear Watson. Cold logic should have told you otherwise. Roger Gilbert had been losing heavily and had planned this hoax. He obviously had no money on him. Therefore, the money was planted in his pocket by Chevrolet. After he shot him? No, my dear fellow. Before. Before? The bullet hole through the banknotes provided that. Now, uh, had the money been put there innocently, Gilbert would have, um, well, you know, come back to life as soon as the person placing it there had left. He would not have remained lying on the ground for a murderer to find him. And Chevrolet must have bent over him as he lay there, placed the money in his breast pocket, and then fired. Precisely, Watson. Well, Holmes, I must say you solved it very neatly. You've told Inspector... 
Ganivet that you wanted no credit in the case. Naturally, uh, publicity would be unfavorable. If you remember, no one is supposed to know that we're in the south of France. <laughs> I'm certain that the inspector learned a few tips about detection tonight. Possibly, old <laughs> fellow. And I hope that uh, you have learned a few things about gambling. How do you mean, Holmes? Well, you're backing the wrong color. Hmm? A gambler is usually superstitious, and superstition... Well, I should have told you what color to follow tonight. I still don't understand you, Holmes. I was playing number ten. Exactly. Number ten is black. You should have followed a red color tonight, old fellow. The color of red ink. Red ink. And blood. Say, Doctor, that was a swell story. I didn't know you liked to play roulette. Well, you know, I, I figured out a system for roulette. It's like yours. Uh, every time you lose, you double your money and keep doubling until you win. Oh, it's a great system, Mr. Bartell. There's only one thing wrong with it. What's that? If you lose, you go broke before you win. <laughs> look, look, look. Take, take my advice. Don't gamble. You can't beat the laws of chance. Uh, but suppose I bet on a sure thing. Like what, for instance? Oh, like the fact that Petri wine is always good wine. It is, you know. Because the Petri family has been making wine for generations. They've been handing down from father to son, from father to son, the art of turning luscious, sun-ripened grapes into delicious, fragrant wine. Ever since the Petri family started their business way back in the 1800s, they've been perfecting the art of winemaking. That's why Petri wine is always good wine. The Petri family took time to bring you good wine. So no matter what type of wine you prefer, why not take a few seconds of your time to look for the letters P-E-T-R-I. They spell delicious wine, Petri wine. Well, Dr. Watson, what new Sherlock Holmes story are you going to tell us next week? Next week, Mr. Bartell, I'm going to tell you of a strange adventure that Sherlock Holmes and I had when we were in Stratford-on-Avon many years ago. It concerns an actor, a mysterious boating accident, and several dead butterflies. It sounds good, Doctor. I'll see you then. Oh, fine, but now, now, don't forget, next week we're going to broadcast our program from the Paramount Theatre in Hollywood for the Victory Loan Drive. So if any of our friends are going to be in Hollywood, we'd love to see them there. Just buy a Victory Bond at any store or bank on Hollywood Boulevard, and in return, you will be given your ticket of admission. Better hurry up, though, before all the seats are gone. Let's really buy lots of those Victory Bonds. Let's finish the job. Tonight's Sherlock Holmes adventure is written by Dennis Green and Anthony Boucher and was suggested by an incident in the Sir Arthur Conan Doyle story, A Study in Scarlet. Music is by Dean Fossler. Mr. Rathbone appears through the courtesy of Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer and Mr. Bruce through the courtesy of Universal Pictures, where they are now starring in the Sherlock Holmes series. The Petri Wine Company of San Francisco, California, invites you to tune in again next week, same time, same station. This is Harry Bartell saying goodnight for the Petri family. Sherlock Holmes comes to you from our Hollywood studio. This is the Mutual Broadcasting System.
The two episodes you've just heard, the original The Adventure of Thor Bridge and The Double Zero, are part of the new adventures of Sherlock Holmes starring Basil Rathbun and Nigel Bruce and are a 1989 copyrighted production of 221A Baker Street Associates. The Sherlock Holmes stories and the characters of Sherlock Holmes and Dr. John H. Watson were created by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle and are used with the kind permission of Dame Jean Conan Doyle. This is Harry Bartell. Won't you join me again on another cassette when I present Murder in Wax and The Man with the Twisted Lip? Thank you for listening. This has been a presentation of Simon & Schuster on... Hi, everyone. The holiday season is upon us, and I'll be glued to the telly for BritBox on many a night. I've already shared with you the fact that I keep up with Father Brown and Poirot at BritBox. I also check out their new stuff, like the new series Archie, which tells the story of Archie Leach, otherwise known to millions of filmgoers as Cary Grant. This story comes from his daughter Jennifer Grant and ex-wife Diane Cannon. It's a series. The performance of Jason Isaacs, who plays Cary Grant, is top-notch. I highly recommend it. You can only find it on my favorite TV, BritBox. Sign up to BritBox today to stream Archie and other fan favorites today from any device. I have a special, limited-time offer for my U.S. and Canadian listeners. Get 50% off your first month when you sign up for a monthly plan, but only if you go to BritBox.com and use my promo code 1001STORIES at checkout. Don't wait. Get 50% off your first month. Just use promo code 1001STORIES at BritBox.com. Try it. You'll like it. This episode from the life of Sherlock Holmes will be transmitted to our men and women overseas by shortwave and through the worldwide facilities of the Armed Forces Radio Service. Petri Wine brings you... Basil Rathbone and Nigel Bruce in the new adventures of Sherlock Holmes. The Petri family, the family that took time to bring you good wine, invites you to spend the next half hour listening to Dr. Watson tell us another exciting adventure he shared with his old friend, the world-famous detective, Sherlock Holmes. As for me, I'd like to leave you with one thought. Namely, the best way to begin a good meal is to start it off with a glass of Petri California Sherry. While you're waiting for dinner to be ready, just sit back, take it easy, and sip some of that wonderful Petri Sherry. Now, there's a wine. Hold that Petri Sherry to the light and look at that rich amber color. Smells good, too, doesn't it? And just wait for that first sip. What a flavor. No kidding, you'll find that Petri Sherry can turn the usual before-dinner lull into a real event. Petri Sherry is the best beginning a good meal ever had. Try it. And so, if you like your sherry dry, you know, not sweet, just ask for Petri California Pale Dry Sherry. But no matter how you like it, you're sure to like it if the label says Petri. See for yourself. And now for the weekly visit with our good friend and host, Dr. Watson. Tonight, we find him on the stage of the Paramount Theater in Hollywood. Good evening, Doctor. Good evening, Mr. Bartell. If you've bought a victory bond, you're welcome. I have, Doctor. 
Now, what's the recipe for tonight's new Sherlock Holmes adventure? Well, now, let's see. Take equal parts of beautiful English countryside and black villainy. Mix them, add a dash of romance, a sprinkling of danger, season well with the usual theatrical condiments, and you have the case of the accidental murderess. Sounds like a tasty dish. Uh, how did the story begin, Doctor? On a beautiful day in 1895, Holmes had just concluded his famous investigation of the sudden death of Cardinal Tusker, an inquiry which was carried out at the express desire of His Holiness the Pope. And in consequence, the great man felt that a couple of weeks' rest in the heart of Warwickshire would be a pleasant change after our rather strenuous adventures in Italy. And so, Mr. Bartell, we went to Stratford-on-Avon. Oh, the home of Shakespeare, huh? Quite right, my boy. As a matter of fact, that was the reason that decided us to go there. Holmes was a great lover of the drama, you know. And at the time my story begins, the Shakespearean festival was in full swing. For the first week, our life there was calm and peaceful. During the daytime, we visited the local places of interest, such as Anne Hathaway's cottage and Shakespeare's birthplace. And the evenings found us at the theatre. It was on a Tuesday, I remember, during our second week's stay that the trouble began. Holmes and I had gone for a walk through the nearby forest of Avon. He was in unusually good spirits that morning, and there was a distant, distinct, I mean, twinkle in his eye as he, as he said... Watson, for once I begin to wish that I were a man of wealth. Oh, and what <clears throat> makes you say that, Holmes? The beauty of this place, old fellow. I'm perfectly certain I'd be happy in retirement here. It's rather depressing to think that in a week or two the sordid necessity of making money will demand my return to Baker Street in a world of criminals. No, I must say that in an environment like this, it is a little hard to think of crime. How does the old saying go? Where every prospect pleases, and only man is vile. Yes, but uh, Shakespeare puts it even better, old chap. Oh, really? What's he say? Well, surely you remember the speech in uh, As You Like It. We saw the production two nights ago. Oh, I don't remember the speech. How did it go? In this setting, it's really remarkably apposite. Are not these woods more free from peril than the envious court? Here feel we but the penalty of Adam, the season's difference. Don't you remember? Sweet are the uses of adversity, which, like the toad ugly and venomous, wears yet precious jewel in his head. And this our life exempt from public haunt finds tongues in trees, books in the running brooks, Sermons in sins, and good in everything. I would not change it. Upon <laughs> my soul, you read that much better than the fellow on the stage the other night. <laughs> Don't tell me I adopted the wrong profession, Watson. Oh, dear me, wait a minute. Path seems to end here. Nothing but dense trees ahead of us. There's another path over there. I think it leads down to the river. Then let's follow it. The Avon is always... Great Scott, that was a... Ah. Holmes. Holmes, you hurt? Ah, uh, yes, I think I am. Bullet hit my shoulder. I think it's only grazed it. Well, get off your coat quickly. Let's have a well, look. It's only a scratch. First, let's find out where it was fired from. I heard the thud of, thud of a bullet in the tree behind me. Yes, here we are. Give me a penknife, old fellow, will you? There you are. Thanks. Do you suppose that that shot was deliberate? Well, I can't imagine someone mistaking me for a rabbit, Watson. And by the way, there was a curious echo to the shot. I don't know if you noticed it. Uh-huh. Here's the bullet. Now, let me see. I was standing there... A line from this bullet hole in the tree through the spot where I was standing would indicate that the shot was fired from that cluster of trees over there. Come on, Watson. Let's see what a search discloses. Yes, I wish you'd let me look at that shoulder before you start galloping all over the countryside, Holmes. You're bleeding quite profusely. Oh, plenty of time to look at it when we... Hello. 
Look over there. Uh, a man and woman running towards us across the clearing. Yes, and carrying guns. Yes, it looks as if it was an accident yeah. after all. Was anyone hurt? Yes, sir. My friend was hit in the shoulder. Oh, how dreadful. It's not a bad wound, is it? Oh, it's only a scratch, madam, I, I hope. But it put the blood on your coat. Yeah, well, just, um... How did this, uh, well, this accident happen, sir? Well, we were, we were out rabbit shooting. I was teaching my wife to use a rifle. I, I saw a rabbit scurry across the clearing. I raised the rifle and fired. It seemed to me, Geoffrey, that as I did so, you jolted my arm. Yes, I'm afraid I did, Alice. I was going to fire too, but as I raised my rifle, I jolted your elbow and sent your shot wild. I, I can't tell you how sorry I am, sir. Uh, here, uh, here's my card. Of course, we'll take care of any expenses that may be entailed. Well, the first thing to do is to find out how much damage has been done. You'd better take your coat off, old fellow. I, uh, I, I don't, th don't think I can. Oh, he, he's badly hurt. No, it, it's just that... Oh, oh, the man's fainted. Oh, this is dreadful. Uh, I have a horse and trap down the road. Excellent, give me a hand with him, will you? Uh, I must get him to a hospital as, as fast as possible. <laughs> Holmes, you feeling any better? Has the nurse gone? Yes, yes, yes. She's bringing the house surgeon. And the uh, man and his wife? They're down in the hospital waiting room. Oh. I found out their name. It's it's Markham. Then we're alone. Yes, 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 old fellow. In that case, I can stop behaving as if I were at death's door. Holmes, you mean that you... You shammed that collapse just now? <laughs> yes, yes, I did, Watson. Oh, well, spare me well, a little pity, old chap. My shoulder's confoundedly painful, I assure you. Well, uh, I'm sure it is. But what made you pretend to faint? I recognize this, Mrs. Markham, and I think you recognize me. It's important she assume I'm out of action for a while. Oh? Mrs. Markham. Why? Well, Mrs. Markham is, uh, in reality, the notorious Mrs. Dangerfield. You remember the Dangerfield case? The Dangerfield? Great. Scott, yes. She was tried for the murder of her husband by poisoning, wasn't she? Yes, she was, old fellow. She was acquitted when the jury decided she was an habitual arsenic addict... Who happened to take an accidental overdose. Well, didn't you have some connection with oh, the yes, case? It was I who tracked down the sale of the arsenic she claimed to have bought for cosmetic purposes. Well, if you ask me, that shot at you was no accident. Oh, of course it wasn't. I'm certain that I was recognized. In any case, her record is a bad one. Uh, prior to her husband's death, there was an episode in which her uncle was killed in a shooting accident on a grouse moor in Scotland. An uncle who left her a large fortune on his death. And I suppose Mrs. Dangerfield was a member of the shooting party when the uh, accident yeah. happened. Yes, she was. Now, she's something of a femme fatale, what? I must plan my actions very cautiously. I'm up against a dangerous opponent. Well, you'll have to stay in the hospital until your wound's being examined and dressed. That's too well. And while the local staff are taking care of that, I want you to shadow the Markham. Of course I will, Holmes. Stick close to them, old fellow. Make them believe that I'm going to be kept here for some days. Find out as much as you can, and then report to me. Right, I'll do my best. <laughs> It's, it's awfully kind of you, Mrs. Markham, to insist on having me back to your house for lunch. My dear Dr. Watson, after injuring the famous Mr. Holmes, it's the least I could do. <laughs> of course it is. Jeffrey, <laughs> dear, will you bring us some sherry? It's Ada's day off, you know. Very well, Alice. Uh, is anyone else coming to lunch? Only Dennis Romney. Oh, Lord, that fellow seems to live here. Well, I'll go and get the sherry. Sit down, won't you, Dr. Watson? Oh, thank you, madam. Thank you. You, uh, 
You say that you think Mr. Holmes will be in the hospital for some days? I'm afraid so. The wound wasn't serious. He lost quite a bit of blood. Oh, I feel perfectly dreadful about it. Well, you mustn't blame yourself too much, madam. It was an accident. Yes, but I might so easily have killed him. Well, you haven't, and that's all that matters. Uh, did you say that uh, Dennis Romney was coming to lunch? Is that the actor fellow from the Memorial Theatre? Yes. Have you seen him on the stage? Yes, 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 yes. Several times. Holmes and I have been going to the festival regularly since we came down here. A fine actor, isn't he? A shame they give him such poor parts. Well, it wasn't really good. Imagine them letting that frightful Basil Grant play Hamlet last night. And has only played Laertes. Yes. Dennis is three times a better actor. <laughs> he, uh, he's coaching me in acting. Oh, coaching you? Really? Yes, he thinks that I may be able to get small parts here next season. I've always had a great urge to go on the stage, but no one's ever encouraged me before. Oh, Here's Jeffrey. This sherry's rather special, Doctor. Perez de la Frontera. <laughs> Only a few bottles left. Oh, that's very nice of you, sir. Oh, that must be Dennis. I'll go let him in. Yeah, we might as we might as well have a drink. You'll find it'll help making this actor fellow more tolerable. I take it, Mr. Markham, that you're not an admirer of Mr. Dennis Romney's. Can't bear him. He's always quoting Shakespeare and behaving generally as if he were another Irving. Oh, <laughs> He's got Alice completely fooled. Here's a glass, Doctor. Oh, thank you, sir. Thank you. Dennis? I want to introduce you to Dr. Watson. How do you do, Mr. Romney? How do you do, sir? Hello, Jeffrey. Uh, want a glass of sherry? Uh, thanks. That'd be very nice. Are you um, a disciple of the theater, Dr. Watson? Well, hardly a disciple, sir, but I've been attending the festival during the last week. I enjoyed your performances immensely, if I may say so. Oh, you may say so, Doctor. Here's your sherry, Dennis. Oh, don't be crotchety, Jeffrey. And please remember that Dennis is our guest. Oh, it's all right, Alice. I know that Jeffrey's bark is a good deal worse than his bark. <clears throat> and, uh, and what play are you appearing in tonight, Mr. Romney? King Lear. I shall once again portray the thankless role of the King of France. Ooh, well, that incredibly bad actor, Basil Grant, tears a multitude of passions to tatters in his rendition of Lear. Oh, horrible, horrible, most horrible. <laughs> I thought his Hamlet was atrocious last night. Wasn't it? When he came to his final line, the rest is silence was as much as I could do to prevent cheering. I felt rather the same way when you were killed in the duel, Dennis. Oh, Jeffrey, <laughs> you're being intolerably rude. Why don't you take Dr. Watson upstairs and show him your butterfly collection? Then at least you'll know what you're talking about. Are you interested in butterflies, Doctor? I, I have quite a rare collection. Oh, really? I'd like to see them very much. Come on, then. Uh, I think we've just got time before lunch. Try and bring yourself down a few better manners, Jeffrey, dear. I'm really quite an easygoing man, Doctor, but the arrogance of that fellow Romney infuriates well, me. Well, I must say, he does seem to have rather a good opinion of himself. Don't, uh, don't put too much weight on that balcony rail. It's absolutely full of wormholes. <laughs> Part of the attraction of an old house, my wife tells me. <laughs> but I regard it as confoundedly dangerous. Yeah, and this is my little museum. In these cases, I think you'll find some of the finest specimens of Lepidoptera you've ever seen. It's my hobby, and I may say that, with the exception of the Natural History Museum, I doubt if you'll find a finer collection. Well, it must have taken you years to collect them. Well, it has. Many years, many disappointments, and a great deal of patience. <laughs> Look at this fellow. He's my prize specimen, a North American monarch. North American monarch? Beautiful, beautiful. Yeah, isn't he? And this is an admiral. Well, of course, oh, I know him. rare. And this is a perfect bee-hawk moth. Bee -hawk and uh, moth. here's an emperor. Ever see more exquisite markings? Well, never. Uh, 
Tell me, Mr. Markham, when you captured a butterfly, how did you kill it without marking it in any way? With poison. Oh? What poison? Cyanide. Not arsenic? If you heard me say cyanide, Doctor. The only reason I mention it is that a friend of mine collected butterflies once, and I'm certain that he always used arsenic to kill them. Why do you keep talking of arsenic? Are you trying to hint at something? Oh, no, no, my dear fellow. I was just curious, that's all. Yes. Trifle too curious, perhaps. Huh, there's the luncheon gong. Let's go downstairs again. Ah, uh, so, we? man, uh, I didn't mean to offend you. Oh, of course you didn't. But my nerves are a little on edge today. It must be that accident to your friend that's upset him. I really must get that balcony rail mended. Shh. Shh. What is it, sir? My wife. And young Ronnie. They're going to lunch. Listen. But darling, why won't he understand? Oh, 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 you expect me to Jeffrey has no imagination. He's never understood me. Well, Doctor, they say that listeners never hear good of themselves. You know, sometimes I wonder if my wife wouldn't like me out of the way. Well, let's go down to lunch, shall we? <laughs> That's the story up to now. A very interesting one, too, Watson. So you think that uh, Mrs. Markham is planning to kill her husband, eh? Oh, it's obvious. She's in love with the actor fuller, Dennis Romney. Her husband's in the way, and if she doesn't want to use poison this time, there's a, a perfect setting for murder in that crumbling balustrade on the landing. Mm -hmm. One push when he wasn't looking, and it'd be the end of him. And one could prove that she did. A charming household. And Mr. Markham became very evasive, you say, when you mentioned arsenic. Yes. I said it deliberately, of course, to see how he'd react. If you ask me, he knows that his wife has asked Nick of the house. He was trying to protect her. You've exerted your charm sufficiently to arrange to see them again, I trust. Well, yes, as a matter of fact, I have. They're taking a picnic tea and going boating on the Avon this afternoon. They asked me to join them. Of course, I, I agreed. I just rushed back here to the hospital to report to you first. You've done splendidly, Watson, splendidly. Oh, thank you, Mr. Well, uh, but uh, I've been so busy mm. telling you what I've found out that I haven't asked you about you. Um, uh, uh, I feel it. Oh, I'm fine, old fellow, fine. Uh, what did the house surgeon discover? A very interesting fact... Look in the drawer beside my bed, will you? Great Scott, it's, it's a bullet. A bullet that the house surgeon removed from my shoulder. But, but we found a bullet in the tree also. Precisely. Therefore, two bullets were fired. But, good Lord, that means... It means, old chap, that we have a dangerous task ahead of us. Not to solve a murder, but to prevent one. <laughs> We'll hear the rest of Dr. Watson's unusual story in just a moment. Meanwhile, I'd like to remind you that good cooking becomes wonderful cooking if you serve your good food with a Petri wine. If you like a red wine, say with meat or any meat dish, try Petri California Burgundy. If white wine's your favorite, then you'll love Petri California Sauterne. It's wonderful. But Burgundy or Sauterne, whichever you prefer, it's just bound to be good if you see the letters... P-E-T-R-I on the bottle. Because Petri wine is always good wine. And now, Dr. Watson, what happened next? We left you at Sherlock Holmes' bedside in the hospital. Did the picnic with Mr. and Mrs. Markham prove an exciting one? No, no, it was rather unpleasant, as a matter of fact. The three of them kept squabbling all the time, and just as we were coming home, something unforeseen occurred. Mr. Markham fell into the river. 
Well, pardon the old question, Doctor, but uh, did he fall or was he pushed? It was hard for me to say. I had my back to him when he fell. Uh, Of course, we fished him out and rattled him back home in a trap as fast as we could. He changed his clothes at once, and as we sat around the fire a little later, I could see that he caught a chill. In fact, I recommended that he go to bed and stay there. Mrs. Markham uh, agreed with me. Jeffrey, dear, I... I do wish you'd follow Dr. Watson's advice and go to bed. For the fifth time, Alice, I will not go to bed. I'm perfectly all right. No, it's no thanks to you and Dennis. What do you mean by that remark, Geoffrey? You know perfectly well what I mean. It wasn't an accident that I fell in the river just now. One of you two pushed me when I was struggling with the punt pole in the long reeds. Geoffrey, you're talking rubbish. Am I? You were in the boat, Dr. Watson. Didn't you say? No, I didn't say. My back was turned to you when you fell in. Well, then we'll call it an accident. An accident that happened by a curious coincidence, just where the river is deepest and the reeds thickest. Geoffrey, I don't like your tone. You can accuse me of anything you like, but when you start suggesting that Alice... If you don't like the way I talk to my wife, I suggest that you don't come to my house. I'm going to get a scarf. I'm chilly. (sighs) Dr. Watson, I I must apologize for my husband's behavior. I don't know what's come over Oh, that's quite all right, Mr. Markham. I quite understand. Well, I wish I did. I, I don't mind yelling at me, but... He's being so abominably rude to you, Alice. The last couple of weeks, it's been getting worse than ever. I know. Ever since we had that argument about the insurance policies, he's been unbearable. Insurance? Yes, Doctor. We took out quite large policies on each other's lives recently. You you didn't tell me that, Alice. Well, it, it was his idea. And yet when the insurance came here, you'd have thought I was forcing him into taking out the policy. Insurance? Great Scott, I... I... You what, Doctor? Are you? Oh, nothing, Mr. Markham. No, 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 nothing at all. Sounds as if you don't approve of insurance, sir. Oh, it's not that, Romney. It's just that I... Who can that oh. be? I wasn't expecting anyone. Answer the door, Dennis, will you? Oh, yes, sir. Oh, sounds yes. as if Jeffrey's already Alice. done so. Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, Alice, we have a visitor. Holmes, you shouldn't be up. Uh, good evening, Mrs. Markham. Hello, Watson. Well, uh, I'm delighted to see you, Mr. Holmes. So I understood from your friend that you'd be in the hospital for several days. The constitution of an ox and the obstinacy of a mule, two characteristics of mine, have combined in making possible an early departure from the hospital. <laughs> How do you do, Mr. Romney? I think I've seen you at the theatre. My name is Sherlock Holmes. How do you do, sir? You'll stay to supper, I hope. If it's not inconvenient, Mrs. Markham. Of course it isn't. I'll go in and arrange for it. Upon my soul, Holmes, I'm glad to see you. And are you all, fellow? Let's take a stroll on the terrace, shall we? It's rather warm inside this evening. You can go out through the French windows. Oh, thank you, Mr. Markham. Holmes, are you quite sure that you're well enough to go walking about? Of course I am. You must tell me, Watson, what the latest developments are. In the meantime, I myself have not been idle. Yes, Watson, I think our stage is set, and I have a feeling that I may contribute to a rather dramatic last act curtain. Delightful meal, Mrs. Markham. Thank you, Doctor. (laughs) Mr. Holmes, you're not eating very much. My appetite is a trifle jaded. The mental fencing that we have indulged in during the meal has been somewhat disturbing. I don't understand you. Oh, come now, madam. I know that you were once Mrs. Dangerfield, and you know that I know it. Why keep up the pretense any longer? Very well, Mr. Holmes. But we can converse in lowered voices. I'm sure that you've told Dr. Watson whatever there is to know, and perhaps more. I admire your courage, madam. Jeffrey, Dennis. Yes, sir. I want you to listen to this. Mr. Sherlock Holmes knows that I was once Mrs. Dangerfield. He's apparently under the impression that this is a dark secret of mine. 
Mr. Holmes, Jeffrey knew and loved me before I ever married Mr. Dangerfield. Of course I did, Holmes. He stood by me during the horrible trial after my first husband's death. And I told Dennis about the whole miserable business months ago. So I really don't see that you've uncovered any great secrets. Not yet, Mrs. Markham, but I have a feeling that it's only a matter of moments. So you haven't got any secrets from Dennis either, eh? There's no need to shout, Jeffrey. There's no need for Dennis to be in my house. Get out, Romney, and stay out. This business between you and Alice has gone far enough. I'll go when Alice tells me to. Well, if you won't go, then I'm not going to sit here. I'm... I'm going upstairs. You're shaking like a leaf, sir. You've got a fever. Don't you think you'd better go to bed? Mind your own business. Leave me alone. Uh, Mrs. Markham, I really think you should persuade your husband to go upstairs and lie down. Don't worry, Mr. Holmes. I know how to handle him. I'll take him up. Put an arm around my shoulder, Geoffrey. Come along. We should follow them, Holmes. They have to pass that crumbling banister on the landing. With him in that state, she, she might try to... What are you suggesting, shh, Doctor? Shh, shh. Come and watch, both of you. We can observe them both from the foot of the stairs here. They're on the landing. She's on the outside. Look, 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 look. Markham's stumbled against her. He's pushed her against the railings. Look out! Come on, get the stairs! Alice, are you all right? Yes, but Geoffrey tried to push me through the railing. That's a lot. It isn't, sir. The three of us were watching you from below. But the railing held. I, I don't understand. I it. can explain that, Watson. This afternoon, while you were all at your picnic, I came here with a local carpenter. You had informed me, old fellow, that it was the maid's day off, and I took the liberty of reinforcing that decaying woodwork. What the blazes do you think you've been up to, Holmes? Preventing murder, sir, and finding the true solution to the Dangerfield case. What do you mean, Mr. Holmes? The true solution? Surely it's obvious to you, Mrs. Markham. You have told us that your present husband loved you before you married Mr. Dangerfield. It was he who accidentally killed your uncle so that you might inherit a fortune. It was he who accidentally gave your first husband an overdose of arsenic. Arsenic that he obtained for the purpose of destroying butterflies. Yes, yes, it was he who tried to send you to your death by pushing you through those railings. And all the time, Mrs. Markham, I thought that you were the potential murderer. You fellows have got hold of the wrong end of the stick. All I've been trying to do is to kill the fact that my wife was a murderer. Jeffrey, how can you say that? Markham, if we... Just a moment, Mr. Romney. I'm not through with him yet. This talk is all very dramatic, Mr. Holmes, but I wonder how you're going to be able to prove Dr. Anything. Watson, Mr. Romney and I will testify to the attempt that you've just made on Mrs. Markham's life. Yes, and what about the attempt on your life, Holmes? Obviously, it was Markham who fired at you in the woods. But my wife has already admitted firing the shot. Uh, true, sir. But two shots were fired. The one that your wife fired, we found in the tree. The one that you fired was extracted from my shoulder in the hospital. Then the two shots were fired simultaneously. You remember, Watson, that I commented at the time on a curious echo. Mrs. Markham told us that her arm was jolted as she pulled the trigger. That was when the other rifle was fired. Mr. Markham didn't want me on the scene when he staged his latest accident, and so he tried to kill me. What kind of a devil have I been living with all these years? I think I'm going to kill you, Markham. Don't come near me. Keep him away from me. Uh, leave him to the law courts, Mr. Romney. British justice may be slow, as indeed it was in the Dangerfield case. But in the long run, it is sure. Find that out, Mr. Markham, on the gallows. Well, tell me, did, did Mr. Markham finally end on the gallows? Yes, he did. And it might interest you to know that Mrs. Markham and Dennis Romney were married. A nice chap and a... And a fine actor, that boy. Hmm. Maybe that's what I should have been. An actor. Hmm? To be or not to be, that is the question. For it is noble <coughs> in the mind to suffer. <coughs> well, what's the matter, Doctor? Don't you like it? The words are beautiful, but the, your delivery of them... Uh, 
Not good, huh? No, not good, Mr. Barnell. Okay. I'd rather talk about Petri wine anyway. Now, there's something to really talk about. Petri wine. A wine with generations of winemaking behind it. That's a fact, you know. The Petri family started making Petri wine generations ago. Well, way back in the 1800s. So they've had the time to develop the art of winemaking, and they've been able to hand down that art from father to son, from father to son. Yes, the Petri family really knows how to turn luscious, sun-ripened California grapes into clear, fragrant, delicious wine. And those letters, P-E-T-R-I on the bottle, are the personal assurance of the Petri family that every drop of Petri wine is good wine. It's got to be. Because don't forget, Petri took time to bring you good wine. Well, Dr. Watson, what new Sherlock Holmes story are you going to tell us next week? Well, I'll never see next week, Mr. Bartell. I'm going to tell you an exciting adventure Holmes and I had in North Africa. It begins at the headquarters of the Foreign Legion and ends with a strange death in the cafe of a thousand sighs. I call the story Murder in the Casper. <laughs> Tonight's Sherlock Holmes adventure is written by Dennis Green and Anthony Voucher and was suggested by an incident in the Sir Arthur Conan Doyle story, The Adventure of Black Peter. Music is by Dean Fossler. Mr. Rathbone appears through the courtesy of Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer and Mr. Bruce through the courtesy of Universal Pictures, where they are now starring in the Sherlock Holmes series. The Petri Wine Company of San Francisco, California, invites you to tune in again next week, same time, same station. This is Harry Bartell saying goodnight for the Petri family. This program originated in the Paramount Theater in Hollywood for an audience of Victory Bond Buyers. <laughs> this is the Mutual Broadcasting System. worked hard for what you have your money your assets your 401k and home isn't it all worth protecting nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft lifelock ultimate plus helps protect your finances with up to three million dollars in reimbursement lifelock alerts you to identity threats you might miss and if your identity is stolen your dedicated u.s-based restoration specialist will work to fix it let lifelock help protect what you've worked so hard for save 25 percent off your first year on lifelock ultimate plus at lifelock.com aware terms apply